Please be seated. We've been looking the last three weeks <clears throat> at what we call Jesus' high priestly prayer from John 17. And we're looking at it as a part of our year-long theme on prayer. In this prayer, Jesus gives us a glimpse of his heart for his people. And if you remember, Jesus prays this prayer just before he gives himself as the one true perfect sacrifice on our behalf. So before we get into today's verses, I want to take just a minute and, look, and just review what we looked at last week. Last week in the verses, the previous part of this prayer, we saw first that Jesus was leaving Christians in the world. Okay, this relates a little bit to Paul's prayer and his thoughts. There's many reasons why Jesus does have us in the world. It's our training ground. We are growing, learning. He also wants to not only train us and prepare us for heaven, but he also wants to use us. Jesus asked that God the Father to, pro to protect Christians from Satan, who Jesus called the evil one. Jesus prayed that God would sanctify Christians. Bruce just prayed about that. I don't know about you, <clears throat> I grew up in the church, and I recognized the word sanctify, but for the longest time I had no idea what it meant. It not only means to make holy, but to sanctify people, to sanctify Christians, means to make Christians, as Bruce was praying, more like Jesus. More like Jesus in, our, in their character, in their thoughts, and in their motivations. And that's important because our character and our thoughts and motivations drive what we do. They drive our words, they drive our actions, they determine how it is that we live. And then we see that Jesus sent Christians into the world just as God the Father sent Jesus into the world. Now we see in other parts of the New Testament that Christians are to be spiritual salt and light, another metaphor. This is a way of saying that Christians are to be spiritual flavoring, spiritual preservative, giving life and light, helping other people see God's truth. People are to be, Christians are to be witnesses to other people of God's work in our lives. Now, do you realize that that takes a big burden off? It takes a burden off of us. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, I can't let people see my problems. I can't let them see where I failed. Why not? They see it anyway. Being a witness takes that burden off. You don't have to worry about trying to look better than you are. You can say, this is me, and Jesus loves me, but he's not going to leave me where I am either. And if he can love me, we talked about this already, and he can love anybody. Christians are also used by God to make and grow followers of Jesus. Well, this takes us to today's verses where we finish Jesus' prayer. So remain seated. Let's read together from the screen, John 17, verses 20 to 26. Let's read this together. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, 
just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So in verse 20, notice that Jesus prays this prayer not only for the disciples that are with him, the ones that are there listening to him speak, But he's praying this prayer for all Christians. Sometimes we talk about the universal church, which is all Christians across all time. If you're a Christian, you're a part of that universal church. And if you look at this verse, you realize because of this particular verse, verse 20, that Jesus prayed this prayer, the whole prayer, for you. And we see in other parts of the New Testament that Jesus still prays. For Christians. This is absolutely amazing. I forget who already spoke about that. This idea that Jesus cares about us, listens to us, knows us. But if you're a Christian, God the Son knows what's, well, actually anybody. He knows for anybody. He knows what's going on in your life. If you're a Christian, he prays for you, for your good. And you can remember that Jesus never forgets. He sees our true needs, not just what we call our needs sometimes. And he doesn't miss anything. And that's a comfort to know that God the Son cares about us. He knows us. He's intimately involved in our lives. But second, notice in verse 20, the mechanism for our belief in Jesus. In verse 20, Jesus prays for, quote, all those who will believe in me through their word. So follow the sequence here. Jesus spoke the words that he received from God. Our men's Bible study is going through the book of John pretty slowly. I've said that a couple, mentioned that a couple times. But one of the things we've seen is that Jesus multiple times talks about the fact that the things he says, he's saying only the words that God gave him. Jesus spoke the words that he got from God the Father. Jesus spoke those words to many people. And we see in the gospel not everyone believe Jesus' words to be true. But to those that did, those that believed in Jesus, they became his disciples. It's another church word, which means a follower. By the way, in the early Christian church, before followers of Jesus were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. So a disciple is a follower. Well, Jesus' followers, his disciples, spoke the good news 
not just of what Jesus said, but also the good news of his life, death, and resurrection to other people. And those people who believed that good news also became followers of Jesus. And so those new Christians told other people who told other people who told other people. And that pattern has continued from generation to generation for over 2,000 years down to today and will continue until Jesus comes again a second time. So here's the question. Who shared Jesus with you? Was it your parents, maybe your brother or sister, a pastor, Sunday school teacher, a friend? For some people, it's, it includes a stranger. And it doesn't have to be just one of those. It can actually be multiple of those where you hear about Jesus. But then that leads to another question. Who are you and I sharing the good news of Jesus with? And when I talk about sharing, I'm talking about sharing with both Christians and people who are not yet Christians. And here's the method, if you want to say, sharing as others show interest or, are, or show willingness to talk. You don't grab them, throw them on the ground, you're going to listen. Okay? You don't see anywhere where God pulls people into heaven kicking and screaming. doesn't happen that way. And why do I, you know, you can see people who've never heard about Jesus or have never made a connection, they, they just don't understand who Jesus is. Maybe the only time they <clears throat> ever heard his name is in a curse. You can see why people who don't know about Jesus don't have a relationship would want to, would need to hear, but why do Christians need to hear? Because we forget, because we get distracted. So we need to keep hearing as well. Then, in verse 21, Jesus prays that Christians be one with him and with God, just as Jesus already is one with God the Father. So this is unity, and it's a big theme, especially of today's sermon. So let's talk briefly about unity in the Trinity. When you, what we see in the Bible is that there are three persons in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. All three are fully God in a way that we cannot understand. And those three persons of God are perfectly unified in love and in purpose. They're, they are unified in every way, and they have been in perfect unity from eternity past, and they will continue to be into eternity future. This is the model of unity for Christians. One of the word pictures in the New Testament to describe the Christian church is the body of Christ. So, figuratively, each Christian is a part of Jesus' body, and Jesus is the head. Now, in a healthy physical body, which mine is not, all the parts work together. The older you get, the less parts work together well. Okay? Now, spiritually... Because of our selfish, sinful nature, we don't naturally work together well. So to compare unity on the one hand, which Jesus is praying for, and what he's actually doing to working to build, and our own selfishness, unity for a Christian means that following Jesus' direction is more important than being seen as right. Unity is more important than having your own way or getting what you want. Now, remember this too. 
our selfish, sinful nature never stops talking to us. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've wanted to say to my own nature, just shut up. But it doesn't. And we never stop talking to ourselves. So another question, what are you telling yourself? You and I are talking to ourselves all the time. It's when we're talking out loud and arguing with ourselves out loud that people think we're crazy. But what are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself that, that, hey, I come first? Or are you speaking God's word to yourself? Now, secondly, so Jesus prays for unity. Then second, Jesus prays that Christians will have unity so that the world may believe that God sent Jesus. Now, we all come from different backgrounds. And as I just mentioned, we don't naturally get along with each other much less naturally love each other and sacrifice for each other. Instead, what we tend to do is collect in groups based on things we have in common. A little bit like Paul's joke about the Army and the Marines. Okay, we like to rib each other. I'm a Marine. He's Army. Okay, we tend to get in our little huddles with other people based on something we have in common and distance ourselves from people that are different. You look at our culture. Our culture is becoming increasingly polarized and divided. And so it's not the first time either. It's, it's a human condition that we do that, that we gather in the groups and we distance ourselves. And so Jesus says that one of the ways that people outside the Christian church come to believe that Jesus was sent by God in particular that he was sent to, by God to rescue us from ourselves and from sin, is that they see an unnatural unity in the Christian church, a unity of love and purpose and service among Christians. So another question, do we show that kind of unity? Now, unity is not the same as uniformity. You're in the military, you understand about uniformity because you wear a uniform a lot. Uniformity in the church does not mean total, and I'll use the word bland, uniformity where everyone dresses the same and talks the same and has the same opinion. That is not unity. That isn't. We all, with all of our differences, and again, this is part of God's design, with all of our differences, we can have unity of the gospel. We can have that unity. Now, I don't often quote directly from preachers that preached two or three hundred years ago, though those guys put a lot of modern preachers to shame. They are great, great students of the Bible, and I have borrowed many of their ideas, okay, unashamedly borrowed their ideas, but I want to quote one today. This is a quote from Thomas Manton, who was a Puritan preacher a few hundred years ago, and he said this about unity. The union of the saints, when they are together, depends on the communion of the saints when they are alone. Now, I think he worked on that a bit. You can notice that he's helping it become more memorable by using two words that sound similar, union and communion. Uses saints and saints, together alone. The union of the saints, when they are together, 
depends on the communion of the saints when they are alone. In other words, the unity of Christians when we get together depends on each Christian's relationship with God when that Christian is alone. Do you get that? The strength of our unity of a, of, of a church, of a Christian church, is based on how well each individual is doing, which is why it matters how other people in the church are doing, if they're hurting, if they're struggling, why we're called to pray for each other. You see, a weak personal relationship with God results in less unity in the body. Now, we're told today we can compartmentalize our lives. That my own personal spiritual condition, you don't need to know, and it has nothing to do with you, and it doesn't affect any other part of my life. Not. It does. You can't disconnect it. Why? Because wherever I go, there I am. That's a quote from my brother-in-law, who's a Baptist preacher, was a missionary. I think it was part of his phone back when you still had little tape machines on your phone to take a message and that was his part of his greeting wherever I go there I am and I'm not here so leave a message okay something like that you can't compartmentalize your life because you take yourself with you so as Christians are we Asking God to help us grow in our relationship with him. Are we following, as Christians, following God's direction? Are we depending on God in every area of our life? Are we thanking God for all of his good gifts and all these other things that have to do with our relationship with God? Let me give you one other example of unity. Growing up, I used to hear about Brother Andrew. Now, you... I saw a couple of blank stares, don't know who he is, okay, showing my age. Uh, this was like not too long after World War II in the 50s, 60s time frame. He would smuggle Bibles into communist countries. And sometimes he would meet with Christian pastors in those countries. And he would, and I notice I'm putting in quotes, give greetings to them, okay, using Bible verses because they didn't speak the same language. But he, they, each of them, he and the pastor, could open up their Bibles and they could point to the book and the chapter and the verse and share verses and give greetings. And so even though they didn't speak the same language, they could figure out what Bible or you know what chap, book, chapter, and verse and everything. And there was often a spiritual connection between the two of them, a unity between them that crossed language barriers. Why? Because the pastor had a relationship with God, Brother Andrew had a relationship with God, and so there was a relationship with each other. Then in verse 22, Jesus prays, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, to his followers, that they may be one. He's talking about unity again. Even as we are one. We get some insight on Jesus' reference to glory from 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is Paul speaking. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image 
from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Christians, as they read the Bible, as they pray, as they live their, their Christian lives in personal relationship with God, and when I say Christian, I mean all parts of your life, and as we live life with other Christians, that's part of the beholding of Jesus. You read the Bible, you see about Jesus. As you pray, you're reminded about who God is and, and what he says. As you live your life, the Spirit is working. We're being transformed by God's Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. And I believe that that Christ-likeness that, that the Spirit is building in each Christian is the glory that Jesus is referring to Jesus in, in verse 22. So just as Jesus showed us God the Father, in fact, just a, probably minutes, I don't know how many minutes, just before this prayer, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he I was talking to Philip or whoever it was, and he said, look, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. Just as Jesus showed us God the Father, Christians show other people Jesus. And so if Christians are growing in Christ's likeness, it also means we're going to end up growing in unity. Now, we've already looked in verse 21 where Jesus gives up one of the purposes for unity so that the world will believe that God sent Jesus. Well, he repeats it again in verse 23. And anytime Jesus repeats something, it's important. So this means that our unity as Christians is important to Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, but Mark, do we have unity? I mean, how many different denominations are there? How many different flavors of Presbyterian are there? A bunch. And then there's the Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Episcopalians, and all the others, disciples of Christ, I mean, all these different flavors. So in the larger Protestant church, we've got many denominations, and generally there are differences on how we do the sacraments, like the Lord's Supper, or maybe differences on church governments, certainly on the way that we do Sunday worship. We've got the whole range from very formal to very informal. But there is something in the Christian church we do have, we have unity on, and that's unity on the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And so because this is a transient area, and we have families moving like the Etheridges just did, Corman's, I think today is their last day. The Roches are going to be leaving soon. Others, families move in and they move out. One of the things that I have said often to families as they're leaving is, I'm going to pray that God will point you to a good Bible-believing church. If there's a PCA church there, wherever you're moving and you like it, great. But if there isn't, don't get stuck on denomination. Find a church that teaches the Bible that you're comfortable with and plug in there. Why can, why can we do that? Because there's unity of the gospel. But if a church has moved away from the good news of the gospel as God gives it to us in the Bible, then that church is no longer a Christian church. Then verse 24, Jesus continues, and he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, two weeks ago, in an earlier part of the prayer, Jesus 
said that he wanted to be with God the Father in heaven. He said, God, I've accomplished what you've given me. Now, when he said that, he knew he had his death the next day, the resurrection three days later, but he's speaking of it already as accomplished fact. He says, I'm done. I want to go home. I want to see you. Well, now he's saying, Jesus is saying, he wants Christians to be with him and with God the Father in heaven. And think about it. Heaven is a place of perfect unity and harmony. And one day, the entire universal church will be in heaven with Jesus and with God the Father. Then verse 25, Jesus says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. So first notice that God is righteous. That means that he is right and good in all, all that he is and all that he does. Then Jesus says, the world does not know you. Well, since Adam and Eve turned away from God, that has been our natural condition. Here the word know doesn't mean talk, refer to knowledge. We don't know anything about God, but it's talking about relationship. We don't have a good personal relationship with God. And that's true because we don't start with a good relationship with God. God says, in fact, that we're his enemies. And for those that are religious, it means that if we're looking for a relationship with God, we're not looking for it a relationship with God on his terms. We're looking really for it on our terms. Now, God is the one who gets to set the terms because he's our creator and he's our king. But we forget this. And too often... We get mad at God because he didn't give us what we asked for. It's almost like he's the divine butler. Well, politely, we can snap our fingers. God, would you please? Well, we get upset with him when he doesn't give us what we want. Think about what this means. If you are a Christian, if you have a relationship with God where he's your father, it's only because he came looking for you he began the relationship, he revealed himself to us, and he maintains that relationship. That is a really good reason to thank God for his goodness. Because if we see ourselves the way God does, we will we'll agree with him that we don't deserve any of the good things he gives us. None of them at all. Then verse 26, Jesus says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Here's what he doesn't mean in that first part of the phrase. I made known to them your name. We think of a name as a person's name. So we're thinking, oh, Jesus uh, taught them. Well, God can be called Yahweh. He can be called Elohim. Other names that he has that he gives himself in the Old Testament. No. What he means here is that Jesus showed us who God is. And as we saw in the last few weeks, Jesus showed us who God is in a way that we can relate to. And so Jesus, he's done that. He will con Jesus will continue to show people who God is, and Jesus will continue to use Christians to show other people Jesus as well. And notice how he finishes the prayer. I in them. He's back to unity again. When he says, I and them, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And 
in the chapters just before John 17 with his high priestly prayer, he's talking about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit is how God transforms Christians. The Holy Spirit is how God grows unity in the Christian church. Let me finish with this thought. I read a devotional this week, this last week, that was talking about the good life. And the writer said, usually when we think of the good life, we think about our family, about our work, our marriage, our neighborhood, our bank account balance, things like that. And the writer made the point that it is so easy to think of, our, of the good life in those terms without thinking of God. Now, imagine for just a moment the best life in those terms. Best marriage, family, work, success, all of those things. Whatever that best is, without Jesus, it will not satisfy very long. There will be other desires creep in. There will be problems that creep in. There will be difficulties. Why? Because something's missing. Actually, not a thing, a person. Jesus. You may have heard the expression that God created us with a God-shaped hole in our soul. He did. God made us to be in relationship with him. And until we have that relationship on his terms, things are going to be out of whack and they won't be fulfilling. So what the, when you kind of carry this picture just a little further, what the Bible tells us is that Jesus is our best life. He's not a means to get the good life. Though when we treat him like a butler, that's often what we're doing. We're saying, Jesus, if you just give me this, life would be good. He's not the means to the good life. He is our good life. When we're in good relationship with him, when we're believing in him and depending upon him and talking to him and living life with him. In fact, if we have Jesus then we will have a good life regardless of our circumstances, whether they're enjoyable or difficult. I don't know if you've ever met uh, a, an older Christian that seems to have a grace and a peace. I've met a few. I've read about some. And what you see in their life, if they share their, any of their story with you, they've had plenty of difficulties. In fact, some of them almost seem to be crushing. Yet they have Jesus. And so if you talk to them, they will tell you, my life is good. It's going to get a whole lot better <laughs> when I cross the river, when I die, when I see Jesus face to face, then it will be perfect. But even now with all the difficulties, it's a good life. Why? Because I have Jesus. The theme of the verses, what you see Jesus talking about in different ways, multiple times in our verses today in his prayer, is that we would be one with him, that we would be one with God, that, that, God would, that his spirit would be in us. And if we are, if you have that kind of relationship with God, if you're growing in your relationship with God, then you've got that good life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even though we don't deserve 
good things you give us, so many good things, but the best that you give us is yourself. And Lord, because we are still broken and selfish, too often we kind of assume you and whatnot and just kind of say, God, if you love me, you'll give me this. So sometimes you actually give us what we ask for. But I thank you, you show us mercy and you love us. And so often you'll say no to those kinds of things because you know that just as little toddlers are asking for candy and candy and candy and they get sick, we ask for things like that as well when the best we can ask for is you. So Lord, remind us, help us to see and help us to see today how much you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we spent the last four weeks looking at Jesus' high priestly prayer. As we come to celebrate communion, I want to remind you of Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 that say this, For we do not have a high priest, that's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if we see ourselves the way God does, we'll recognize we're always needy. But that also means that he's always ready to give mercy, to give grace, gifts, help in all of our time of need so that we can be complete in him, so that he can work in us and change us and grow us. So Jesus is our high priest. And as our high priest, we just looked four weeks at him interceding with God on our behalf. But today we celebrate Jesus is also the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, as the high priest, sacrificed himself in our place for us. He is the one true perfect sacrifice so that no more sacrifice is required for our sinful, selfish rebellion against God. Instead, he's chosen to love us and adopt us, to work in our lives, to promise us an inheritance. He says he's going to work in us so that we shine as lights. He's going to work in us so that we're like salt that gives flavor to other people. Now, we don't do that perfectly. But do you see the good that he's giving us? And that's what we're celebrating today. Jesus knowing exactly who we are, exactly what we do left to ourselves, decided that he would love us first. And so if you're here today and you've received that gift of Jesus' love, of his sacrifice, if you've made your own public statement of faith that you're trusting only in Jesus to be right with God, only in Jesus to have any hope, to not be judged and condemned by God, and if you've been baptized, then you're welcome to this table. Now, I've talked plenty today about our own brokenness and selfishness, and if you're here today and you're a Christian, but yet you've said God, right now, I don't want you. I want this person, this thing. This is actually an opportunity that God's giving you to release your grip, your death grip on whatever that thing is, and be, get right with God and trust him 
that if he says that person or that thing is a good thing, he'll give it to you in his time. But get right with God so that you can take of the bread and the juice. Don't refuse the meal because you don't want to give up what you desire. But if you're here today and you're a stranger to God, then don't take, but think about what God offers. He knows us completely, perfectly, inside out. And he offers to love us and to forgive us and to take us from being enemies to not just being friends, but adopting us into his family and giving us an inheritance. That's what he's given us and promises. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. You know that we need reminders all the time. So you call us to get together every week and to sing songs and to pray and to hear your word spoken. You, you tell us to have this service of celebration, of remembering, of having communion so that we can be reminded of your great love for us. We thank you for it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to